Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm reading this for a reason. Uh, I'm starting a new series called Being the Church, and we're going to talk about the core values of Church on the Move. So if you're new here, you're going to find out a lot about us this morning. Uh, I want to welcome also all those online. Thank you for listening. Uh, you know, we had the Joy Marriage Conference uh, this last week. It was so incredible. Uh, Luis caught me today and said they get better and better every year. And we've got another one, an uh, incredible one planned next year too. And so it's going to be incredible as well. But we did that conference and, uh, man, you just, you just learn so much about just putting God first. And, and being the church, that's what we have to really focus on. And so what I think about when it comes to that is how do you do that? And, you know, we look at situations and circumstances sometimes and we think, how can I do that? How, how can I live up to this? How can I live up to what God says to do? And, and there's, a, there's a way we can do it. He provided a way. And it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for it was only through his wonderful or through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could earn this salvation for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. Man, you know what? Grace is unmerited favor. It means that you didn't earn it and we certainly didn't deserve it. He just gave it as a gift. And those who believe that operate at a whole nother level than those who do not. Why? Because this statement comes true. My wife sent me this uh, yesterday. It says, God does not expect the impossible from us. He wants us to expect the impossible from him. And that, that, yeah. And that's relying on his grace, his ability to help us pull this off. Because I know that you can look at Bible characters and look at Paul and Peter and Abraham and Sarah and Esther and you think, oh my gosh, these people are, they're just, man, how can I ever be that? How can I ever believe that? But I love what it says in James 5, 17 about one of the greatest prophets to ever live, Elijah. Elijah's only one or two human beings to ever not face physical death and go to heaven, to go in eternity. Elijah and Enoch never physically died. They went body, soul, and spirit just like Jesus did, except they didn't die, into heaven. Their body, soul, and spirit's in heaven. It's crazy. I don't know how that looks different because everybody else's body's not there except Jesus. So there's only three of them that their body, soul, and spirit are in heaven. And one of them died. Jesus died. Those two did not. Now, we know from the book of Revelations at the end times, those two are coming back. God's sending them back to, and they're going to be testifying and prophesying at the eastern gate. It's so funny. The eastern gate of the temple in Jerusalem is the only gate that has survived the, all of time. It's the only one there. It just so happens that's the one that is spoken about that will always be there. And that's where they're going to stand and prophesy. And they will be put to death eventually. But they'll, like us, they'll... They'll go to their spirit and soul will go to heaven and then God will come back for their bodies and just like it's gonna work for all of us. But this is who Elijah is. He's one of these guys that he left the earth in a chariot of fire and he's living in heaven this whole time. And, and this is what it says in James 5, 17. It says, and Elijah was a guy like we could never be like. It's not what it says. It says, and Elijah, where it is? Elijah was a man with human frailties, just like all of us. These people are just like all of us. 
And what I love about God is that in the Bible, he didn't just write about all the great things that happened. He wrote about everybody's humanity. That all of us had a flesh and all of us uh, have missed the mark and all of us have done things. And man, Elijah, he questioned. He's like, man, I called down fire from heaven and now I'm all alone and I can't do this God by myself. And I mean, he went through all the doubts and insecurities and stuff that every human being goes thinking one or two thoughts. Uh, Satan will either, he'll convince you you're not enough or he'll tell you you're too much and get you in pride. He either wants you to be insecure or prideful so he can break you down or keep you down. But God wants us to understand that by his grace, this gift he's given us of his spirit, this gift he's given us of his word, the gift that he's given us of his strength, his courage, his power, his ability, that he makes us better than we could ever possibly be. He helps us overcome that humanity and be, be something that we could never be on our own, but with God's grace, his goodness, his strength, his spirit, his word, oh man, nothing's impossible to those who believe that. Nothing's impossible, the Bible says. And we need to rely on that. You know, I know sometimes, man, people start comparing. I can never be as spiritual as Miss Julie or Miss Sherry or this person. Or I can never be as spiritual as Pastor Sean or this person or that person or, or Joel Osteen or uh, Stephen Furtick or, you know, whoever they compare themselves to. Listen, guys, it is just by God's goodness, his mercy, his power that anybody accomplishes anything in his kingdom. And we need to understand that because the very first principle of being the church is something that some people can look at and go, man, I, I don't know how to do that. Yeah, and by ourselves we can't, but with him, oh, we can. We're more than capable. And so I wanted to establish that so no one's intimidated. No one's intimidated by God's word and think, man, I read this and I can't be a Proverbs 31 woman. I read this and I can't be like Abraham. I can't be like this. I can't be like Paul or Peter. I can't be like Mary. I read these things. I'm like, how can I be a teenager like David? How can I be a teenager like Mary? How can I accomplish these things as a young person the way these guys or these women did? Oh my goodness. They did it by the strength that God gave them. It was supernatural, not natural. And if you'll believe in the supernatural God, he'll do the same things through you we sing that song you're the same you're this I call on the God of David I call on the God of Mary you're the same you're the same God we just got to be the people that believe that he is he's the same God that helped David he's the same God and he's the God that will help you he's the God that will help us now I want to tell you the tale of two countries Two nations that were under attack, and what was under attack was not a political philosophy like people try to make it out to be, and it's Russia and China. Back in the early 1900s, they both went through what they call a communist revolution, and people think that was a, that was a fight over dictators. You know, one form of di uh, dictatorship was the, was the czars, like the king of, of, of uh, Russia, or the, the people that ruled over, and the emperors and those that ruled over China. And man, that, that, that's what people try to make it about. But really, what all of that about was about was killing the church in those nations. Because the number one tenet of communism is God is dead. Without God being dead, if God's alive, they can't sow all the lies that come behind communism. 
And so it wasn't an attack on political philosophies and just other dictators and economic things. It was an attack on the church. And the the two churches had two different responses. In Russia, they relied on the priests. The priests did everything. The priest taught them the word. The priest did this. The priest did that. And they built these big cathedrals. And the God was housed in those cathedrals. And the priest did everything. And when that revolution took place, the church was almost completely eliminated to the point that when the walls of communism fell down, missionaries had to flood Russia to teach the Russians about Jesus because there was little or nothing left of Jesus. Because the people looked to the priests, looked to the pastors, and, and thought God lived in the buildings. In China, totally different story. Same communist revolution. And you have to understand that in order to kill God, they have to kill all the priests. Those priests either died or they were had to submit to the government and start saying what the government told them to. They had to become traitors to the cross or die for the cross. And the Christians either had to become traitors or die. That's the only option. And in Russia, they gave up. They threw in the towel. Once they got rid of the priests and those that would speak up and got the rest of them to comply, the church was over. In China, it wasn't the case. Those pastors and missionaries that came from Europe and the United States that flooded China, they taught them the truth about the word of God, that the church is not in, that God's presence in his church doesn't exist in a building. It exists in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. This building's not, we are. And the reason he's here is because we're here. He's not here because we put a cross on that dome that we built a building. He's here because we're here. And they taught the Chinese people, you're the church. And those pastors did what they were supposed to do. The Bible says in Corinthians, I'm to train you up for the work of the ministry. Most, but in Russia, it was the priests did all the work. And they liked it that way because they were elevated. But when they died, the church died. God, the teachings of Christ died. In China, it was the other way. The pastors understood, I have to teach the people. They're the church. I have to train them for the work. And so when communism came in and they started imprisoning and torturing, they're talking about all the torture that you hear it constantly about the Muslims right now in China, and they are doing it to them. But gosh, they've been doing this to Christians for 100 years and still are. But you never hear any Christians speak up. There's a basketball player who's a Muslim who's speaking up, calling out LeBron James, calling out the NBA, calling out. I mean, he's so bold. There's not one Christian calling that out. And that tells me something, that those Christians in the NBA don't know they're the church. They think it's someone else's job to speak up. They've they've become consumers of the the church instead instead of being the church. And so in China, there were two million Christians when communism took over. And when they slaughtered the Christians and arrested the pastors, they went from two million to 80 million. Because they knew who they were. We are the church. This building isn't the church. We're the church. I'm not the church. And you come and just, Pastor Troy, you do it all. No, we are the church. And we all do it all. And because they knew that, they went from 2 million to 80 million under persecution. 
And then they went from 80 million to 350 million. And right now in China, it is the largest Christian nation in the world. There's more Christians in China than there are Americans. Why? Because they understand this principle. They trust God's ability in them to accomplish whatever he's asked them to do. Grace. And they understand who they are in Christ. And when you understand that, then doors open and things change. Right now in America, I mentioned it, we have this consumer religion. And so many people come and think, man, if they don't play Hillsong music, I'm not going. Or if they don't sing hymns, I'm not going. Or if they don't do this, I'm not doing this. And I come in, I want you to feed me, and I want you to feed my kids, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do that, and there's not one thought of what I'm supposed to do. That's called consumerism. We're, we're the, guys, you realize that Americans are the top 5% of wealthiest people. If you're an American, just an American citizen, or you live here and work here, you're in the top 5% of wealth in the whole world. 95% of the people around the world are poorer than we are. We have more stuff than anybody's ever had in the history of the world. Wealthiest nation, not just now, but wealthiest nation ever as a whole. And, and yet, we just want more and more and more and more and more. We get consumed by consumerism, by consuming things. And guys, it's, it's, it's just like... Just like democracy tried to come in the church, the church is not a democracy. The church is a theocracy. God's in charge. And he appoints people to be in charge of the church. There's no vote. It's, that's creeped in, and now consumerism has creeped into the church where people are just, gimme, 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 gimme. And that's not the church. And guys, my concern is, is that as communism has is, is worked its way in our schools, it's, I mean, there's 50-something percent of the people in America right now think we should be a communist socialist nation. That after, after that sweeps across our country, I wonder what's going to be left. And I don't want to leave this planet not knowing that, and I don't want to live here, not knowing that if they came and did what they did in Canada, arrest me, and they built a fence around the church, that church on the move would die because I'm in jail and this, it's locked up. I would want to think that you guys would meet at the park. I would want to think you'd meet in your homes. I would want to think you'd never stop telling people about Jesus. I wouldn't want to think that we'd be like the Russians and just say, well, and cave into this culture. I would want to think the church would grow, not die. That's what I want to think. But that's up to us, not just me. It's up to us, not just me. And we're going to talk about consumerism and what God says, the heart we should have and and, you're, and I look at these scriptures and I think, man, it's definitely not possible normal. It's not normal to live like this, but it's, it's not natural. But supernaturally, you can do it. I know it's true because I've walked with God. I see in some of you and some of your lives and in my own life and my wife and my children, I see how God can do this, how he can pull, pull it off. And you know, one of the things I love about God is he calls us co-laborers. Go with 
need a Matthew chapter 22, and this is, this is the first core value that we have of being the church at Church on the Move. It's number one. It's number one for a reason, because if it's not in order, nothing else will fit. Nothing else will work if it's not in this order. It has to be. Everything in our church has to start with this right here, this belief, this heart. And so in Matthew 22, starting in verse, uh, we'll start reading in verse 35. It says this. Then one of them, a religious, a religious scholar, posed this question to test him. Him is Jesus. Teacher, which commandment, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Verse 37. Jesus answered him, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you. That's the first and greatest commandment. He said this. This is the great and supreme commandment. He also said in another translation, all the law and all the prophets hang on this one simple thing. You know, God, Jesus just simplifies stuff. He's like, it's simple. Love God, love God first and love God most. Love God with all. Simple, basic, basic. Well, pastor, how do I, I used to ask God, how do I love you with all? What does that feel like? How does that work? I don't, I don't get it. And this is what I realized and how he, what he's taught me. If you've ever been on a missions trip with strangers, you know at the end of that, when you're saying goodbye to each other, you're like, hugging, I love you, man. We're friends forever. And I mean, or you've ever been on a team that you were really trying to accomplish something and you and you you fight and battle. It's like the Super Bowl. I see these NFL guys, I love you, man. I love these guys. And next year they're on another team. And I love these guys. And I I mean, because when you're on a trip together, we're on a mission together, there's you get to know each other and you make this connection. Even at work, one time. When I lived in Tulsa, I worked in the, the secular world. I, I, Julie came out with me and another guy named Brent, a friend of mine at work, and his wife, and we're talking, and I start giving Brent a hard time about all his little inner secrecies that he did, and I start giving him, and we're joking, and he starts giving it back to me about my stuff, and we're laughing, and our wives are laughing. Finally, his life just is really starting to laugh hard. I'm like, what's up? She goes, you guys know each other so well. And Julie's like, yeah, it's like, his, like Brent's his second wife. <laughs> well, here's the deal. And I still, man, if I saw him today, I don't know how he'd feel, but we know each other so well that if I saw him today, we would have an instant connection. Why? Because we spent 10, 12-hour days. Our job was long and hard. Five days a week we spent together at work for years. And we went to lunch almost every day. And we did life together. And as we, I didn't know him when I walked in the building. I didn't walk in the building and say, Brent, hold my hand, let's pray. He'd been like, what? No, we just started doing stuff and, and started traveling this road and doing this job together. And we just got to know each other. And then we got to know each other. We got to really care about each other. And we realized we were both Christian brothers in Christ. And we got to love each other and care about each other. And we got to know each other. And that's how this works. That's how you learn to love God with all. You gotta go, you gotta get on the mission with him. You gotta get on the team and start doing what he's doing and doing what he says to do. And when you're on the team, he said, we're co-laborers. He's not going to do all the work. He's not a communist. Where he does all the work and we get the benefits. It's not a welfare program. He works, we get. No, no, no. He's like, we're, work, we're, in there. we're working this thing together. 
I'm going to do my part, but you got to do your part. And when you co-labor with God, he teaches you how to love. You get to know him and you start like, man, God, I love you more now than I do did then. It's kind of like my marriage. I love Julie. I fell in love with Julie at first sight. I always say she tu- I saw her and I'm like, man, this girl's pretty. She turned around and locked the door. And I'm like, I'm in love. I won't say anything more about that. but uh, So I loved her at the, the first date. We got to know each other. And man, but I can honestly say, as much in love as we were in then, I'm more in love with her now. Why? Because we're on this journey. We're co-laboring. We're on this mission to raise kids and, and pastor a church and do life. And we're, you know, we're just, we've buried people we love. We've, we've done, we've seen great things happen and victories and defeats. And we've gone through it. And man, this love is just deeper and more. It's deeper and more. I mean, we both can say that. It's deeper and more, and that's how God is when you, when you hook up, when you say, okay, God, let's do this thing together. Here's what I don't want. In Matthew 7, Jesus is talking at the end of Beatitudes, and he says this. He says, at the end of time, we're all gonna stand before him individually. You're not standing with your wife or your husband, your kids, Nobody. Your kids, everybody you know will stand individually. You'll stand individually before God. And he says to most, he said many, to many I'll say this, because he said many will say this to me, Lord, Lord. And he'll say back to them, I never knew you. And then he says this, only those who do the will of my father do I really know. So what he's talking about is those that are co-laboring with me, we got to really know each other. And we fell deeper in love than we've ever fell. And we've, we love each other and care for each other more and more because we see each other's hearts and we, we know each other. And we, it becomes a deeper intimacy and a deeper relationship. And man, out of that, you really learn how to love God with all that you have. And they say back to him, but we did this in your name and this in this, your name, all these, these big grandiose things. He said, but you never did the will of God. And you would think that all the stuff they did was the will of God, but you gotta understand what he's talking about. He, he, they did this stuff and a lot of this stuff was fake. It wasn't real. He really does do some of the things they talked about, but it wasn't real. And all they wanted to do was get the credit. Their heart wasn't in it. It wasn't to know God. It wasn't to honor God. It was to honor them. It was to get a pat on the back and say, look how cool you are. Look how great you are. Look how religious you are. Look how pious and righteous you are. It wasn't from here. It was from here. It never got here. Why? Because Jesus explains it. You didn't do the will of my Father. You didn't do what I asked you to do. You didn't go on the journey together. But when you go on the journey together, has anybody ever experienced that? You got with a group of strangers at work that you didn't know them and you worked with them for years and after a while you just got this connection. It's like this work connection and you start to care about each other or been on a team or gone on a mission trip or done, you know, did a job together, even for a short period of time and you're like, man, you, you start to leave them, you cry, you say, man, I love you. Has anybody ever done that before? If you haven't, you need to try it because it's really cool. It's really cool. If you've never done that, oh my gosh, you need to get involved. You're not living life. You're just not, you're not living life. You're just breathing air. Man, I wanna encourage you today, start living life. Get involved, hook up with God, say, okay, God, what are we doing today? And start doing on the journey and he'll teach you how to love him with all. He'll teach you how to passionately love him. 
You think I was born with that? Man, guys, I was born, I didn't love myself. I didn't even understand what love was. I understood lust and I understand wanting stuff or wanting to be with women. I didn't understand anything about love. We didn't have a lovey-dovey household. My dad never told me he loved me. You know, I, all the usual stuff, I didn't understand it. But man, I, I met Jesus. And then I went, I, he said, come on, let's do something together. And we started walking together and he taught me and he's still teaching me how to love him with all I got. And he, he puts a filter in your heart called the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And he'll start filtering stuff out that tries to take the place of him. Or stuff that you've already allowed to take the place. And he'll, he'll start filtering out these things and start removing these idols and these things that you put in front of him. And man, I remember the last time he filtered me was over an election. And I thought, golly, God, uh, we're done for. And I was so down about it. And he said, how dare you put an election in a country over me? And man, right then, all the patriotism and all the stuff I thought was right, I realized, hold on a second, I still love my country. I still, because I love the people, but I cannot put America over God. They're not equal, or they're not even close. And he filtered that and put that in proper perspective. Now, now things start to fit right. And until you get this first thing right, nothing will fit. I'm telling you, nothing will work right. Nothing will fit right until you get this right. God and the love of God. And you go on that journey together and let him teach you how to really love. I love the journey he's taking me on. I went from not loving anyone, including myself. I didn't even love my family. I resented my family most of the time. I didn't think they lived up to my expectations. And I resented myself because I didn't live up to my own expectations. But man, I met Jesus. Man, he started teaching me stuff. And we went on a mission together. And it's not one of those you do for a short period of time and you love them. This is a lifetime. Then he says this. Check this out. He says uh, in verse 39, And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. Contain within these commandments to love you will find all the meaning of the law and the prophets. You want to understand the Bible? These two things are the key to everything in here. The key. So simple, but so profound. So deep, but so basic. You know? But life won't fit until you get this right. Nothing will fit right. Nothing will quite be right. Listen, I, I, I asked to do this illustration. Someone told me about this, and I want to do this illustration for you. You know, this is just sin, and this just kind of represents stuff in life and stuff that just, you know, that we have in our life. And it's not necessarily bad, but it's, it's going to be here today and gone tomorrow, and it's not going to really make a difference in anything eternally. This kind of represents things that are more, a little more weighty. They matter a little bit more, but they're still... Maybe, maybe this represents the love of people and, you know, and it's important and it's a weightier and it's got a little more substance to it. And then this, 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 kind, this represents the love of God. And when you have this out of whack and you start stacking this up, um, man, it just doesn't, it just won't fit. It's just not going to fit. It just doesn't fit. You can't fit all this in there. And life just doesn't, it's not right. It doesn't fit. But when you reverse this and you put it in right order and you put the things that are important first, 
You put the love of God first. Man, things, things start to fit, man. They start to flow. They start to make sense. They, they start to happen. And you, you can pour all this in here. And, you know, things, things just start to fit. And, you know, you think, oh, man, how's that all going to fit? Because it didn't fit. It overflowed in that. But, man, when you start to pour this in here and it starts to filter down in the right order, in the right order, you can fit all this in here. You could even put some more in there. And it fits and it doesn't overflow. It's right. When you put the love of God first and then the love of people second, everything else will fit. It'll make sense. It'll fit within your life and it'll be in the right order. And man, that's the only way it ever will be. And then you'll know you're the church. And the church of God will never die. It won't, they can lock it up. They can burn it down. They can get a bulldozer and bulldoze these buildings. It would make me sad to see that, but it wouldn't in me. It wouldn't in the church in me. I'll pastor from a gazebo at Cahoon. If they lock that up and shut that down, I'll stand on my roof if I have to. And, and I'll, shout to the, I'll shout to the weeds and the rabbits that Jesus Christ loves you. Because that second commandment is so powerful. In Revelations, God says to the, to the church of Ephesus, he said, you've suffered for me. You've overcome this for me. You've done this for me. But you've, I've got one thing against you. You've forgotten your first love. You know what they forgot to do? They were forgetting to tell people about Jesus. Man, if I really love you as I love myself, the, I'd give you the greatest gift I have. The greatest gift I have is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. How could I not tell you? How could I work with you? There was no one at my job, no one at my job ever that I did not tell about Jesus. And I didn't do it. I didn't stand on my desk and shout it. I didn't, I didn't interrupt the workflow. I did none of that. I worked my tail in off. I made sure they thought I was the best worker in there and the hardest worker. I might have not did everything right. I might not have been the smartest guy. I wasn't the smartest person in the room. But, man, I worked my tail end off. And they could never point at me and say, hey, you're not working. You're over here preaching. and not. No. And I got to know them. I walked on a journey with them and got to know about them. I asked about their kids. I, asked, I loved them the way I wanted to be loved. And I'm going to tell you how I wanted to be loved. I wanted someone to Tell me about Jesus. It's the greatest gift that I've ever been given. The greatest gift. And I've never forgotten it. That someone had a church. That's why I love the church so much, guys. Because someone thought, and they didn't have a building. They met in a woman's club. And it was about a hundred years old building. It was, it was pitiful. But someone had a church. And they had a pastor. And he, I came for all the wrong reasons to church. I was there for, I wasn't there to hear about God. But God knew I was in the room, and he was going to tell me anyway. Why? Because the pastor had been saved, and he couldn't help but tell me. Because if I love myself, if I love you the way I love me, I've got to tell you. I have to tell you. There's no way I couldn't tell you. I, I would hate you. If, if I hated you, I wouldn't tell you. But if I love you, I have to. And so there wasn't anybody at work I didn't pray with. I led seven or eight people to Christ for the first time at work. I wasn't a pastor. I didn't even know half the time what I was talking about. I was just learning the Bible, learning how to love people, learning how to care. But man, I couldn't help it. 
I couldn't stop it. Because, man, if I really love you, how can I not give you the greatest gift that anybody's ever given me? And I love it, man, that, that when I went to church, God told me exactly what I needed to hear. He said, I think I was the only lost person. There's only 30 people in the room. I think I was the only one that was lost in the room. And he said, he said this. He said, I didn't come to condemn you. And I heard it like this. I didn't come to condemn you, Troy. He didn't use my name, but I heard it like that. I came to save you. I love you. And I love you first. And I'm like, I don't even know how to love. I, that word makes no sense to me. And I could, I could just remember the Holy Spirit just like, it's okay, I love you first. And I, because I love you first, I'll teach you how to love. Just receive me and I'll teach you. And I was his enemy. I'm like, I'm your enemy, man. I, I'm doing the exact opposite. I, 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 I lead people the raw, this way. He's like, it's, I'll forgive you because I love you. Even when you're my enemy, I loved you. That's why you're here today, because I love you. I want to save your life, Troy. Just trust me, and I'll teach you how to love. I'll answer the questions that you've been asking all your life. What does this mean? What is this for? And he turned me from a consumer to a servant in a moment. Was I perfect at it? No, (laughs) still aren't. Still not. But boy, I'm on this journey And the last thing I want to ever have happen to any of you is that when we all stand before God individually, oh, man, that's why the first thing Jesus does is dry our tears. Right after the judgment day, right after Revelations 20, when judgment takes place, the very next thing Jesus does is he dries our tears. And I know why we're going to be crying because we're going to see people we know or don't know, and they're going to stand before God, and he's going to go, I never knew you. We never went on this journey together. You never even sought to find out what's my will and what what do you want me to do, God? And you never pursued that. And you never let me teach you how to love me and how how to receive my love and love me back and how to love others and love yourself. You never even thought about it. You never asked me. You never pursued it. You never you never did anything to to get it. And I I don't know you. And I know we're all going to be weeping. I know I'm going to be weeping. I want to weep now because I know there's people in this room and online that, man, you're just, you come to church and maybe you do, maybe you don't, and it's really pretty insignificant to you. And, man, it's not going to cut it on that day. And, and man, we're going to weep. All of us will weep. And I don't want this, this move of this wave of sin and communism flowing over our nation to, to end the church. Guys, if they come for me or they come for this building, it, I hope it's my greatest desire that you guys just don't even back up or back down. Your whole family could reject Christ, but you're not going to. And you're going to just keep telling people, hold on a second. Jesus is real. He is alive. He does love you. He's the only way to heaven. He, he'll forgive you of your sins. He'll make your life. Life had purpose and meaning. I hope you have a passion to do that. That's what being the church, that's where it all starts. That's where your life begins. When you get it right and it all fits now. When you put God first. How do I know I'm a consumer? This is how you know that you're battling consumerism walking into church today. Because if you walked in and you didn't think once, 
If you thought, I gotta get the kids in the nursery, I gotta get to my chair, I'm gonna get to my chair for someone gets to my chair. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, and you just, hi, hi, whoa, whoa, I gotta do you know, and he didn't even think once about, hey, is there anybody in here that might need some help? Is there anybody in here that I need to encourage? God, is it, do you want me to say something to somebody? I'm available. I'm a co-laborer with you, God, so I know you're here, you know, because we're here, and so, and you're here, and so I'm co-laboring, so what, what are we going to do? How are we going to help somebody today? What can I do for you today? Instead of walking in and just getting here and saying, come on, Pastor Troy, tell me something. Tell me something good, Pastor Troy. Instead of just consuming that, it's like, tell me something good, Pastor Troy, that changes my life so I can help change my kids and my family and my mom or dad that doesn't know Jesus or my friend or the, the people at work or the hurting that I just see walking around Roswell, living on the street. Or, I mean, that, move me. God, move me. Move me so I can move something else. And you come in and you don't think, well, that music wasn't good today and da-da-da-da-da and they should have did this. And I, man, if they only sang this and... And just consuming, guys, that consuming church died in Russia. Now Russia's gonna play a vital role in the end times where two-thirds of their population is gonna get wiped out soon. Mark my words, because it's not my word, it's God's word. They're gonna get wiped out because they've rejected God and they went generations of godless children and godless people. Not China, because they understood that all of us are the church. All of us have an obligation. It doesn't rely on, it doesn't just rely on me. Without a show of hands, I don't want you to show your hands, but I know the stat. It's 80 to 90% of all Christians never lead someone to Jesus. That's why the world looks when they criticize us and say, oh man, if they really believed it, why wouldn't they tell everybody? And I'm like, that's a legit criticism. If they really believed it, why wouldn't they live like it? That's a legit criticism. If they really believe that God is, Jesus is the only way, why wouldn't they be on their knees praying and weeping for the lost? Why wouldn't they go all out? Why wouldn't they tell everybody? Why wouldn't they live like it? Why wouldn't they do their best to be an illustration of that in marriage? Why do Christians have as high or higher a divorce rate than, than non-Christians? If they really believed it, See, when you really believe it, you can't help but live it. You're not going to be perfect, but you can be consistently righteous. You can consistently do the right things. You can pursue this and say, God, teach me this. Teach me how to love. With if, this, if this sums up the entire Bible, then teach me this. How to love you with all and with a passion and love others as I love myself. I can't forget the day I got saved. I tell everybody my testimony. Everybody and anybody that'll listen, I'll tell. It's still so alive in me. I know what it, I still remember what it was like to be lost. I would sit in this field behind my house at three o'clock in the morning drunk and I would scream at the sky at the top of my lungs, if there's anything out there, come get me now. I mean, I was angry. 
And I knew there's got to be something better. And my life wasn't devastated. I, all my dreams were coming true. But I, on the inside, I had this darkness and this hole. And I knew it just wasn't right. And I would scream at the sky. I would shake my fist and say, God, if you're real, kill me if you want to. Drunk as could be, stomping around that field yelling. Broken. Then I went to church for all, I said, all the wrong reasons. And he just loved me. He said, it's, I'll forgive you. I love you. Here's the answer. You've been screaming at me. Now I'm talking to you. How can I forget that? How can I not be a pastor? How can I not tell people at work? How can I not pray for them? How can I not love them? How can I not act like a Christian? How can I not walk in and say, God, what can I do? My family knows when we pray and I'm not bragging on me. This is, the, this is what happens when you walk with God, man. This is what he begins to do in your life. When we pray and go on vacation, we pray for safety and fun. But man, I also pray, God, if, I'm a, if there's, uh, if I, <laughs> I'm never on vacation from you, Jesus. And how many people have we led to Jesus? How many people? I'll never forget the two women and the five kids in a van. Broke down at 3 o'clock in the morning on the road between Oklahoma City and Tulsa. I'll never forget leading them to Christ by changing their flat tire. And then in the middle of that, God's like, why are you still changing the tire? So I had to stop. I turned around and looked, and they're all weeping. They're all crying. I'm like, I'm sorry, Father. Let me just finish this prayer with them. And I'll never forget after they prayed that I asked them, I said, none of you guys ever prayed? No, none of us, not one of us had ever prayed that before. And I was so grateful that I, I fought with God over even stopping for him. And I felt, now I'm, now I'm like crud. I feel bad. I even fought with you, God. I'm sorry. But I'm so grateful that, I, that you convinced me to stop. That I stopped for them. How can I not? How can you not? How can we not be the church? Starting in our home. At our job. At church, maybe we can be. I, I hope today that you take the time sometime today, maybe driving home and you say, God, teach me how to love you. Teach me to get my stuff right so it all, it all fits together right and it all fits in this and my life just makes sense and it fits and it works. Help me to filter through the things that are fighting for your love in my heart. You know, he's not ashamed of that. He knows that we're going to have those battles. He just wants us to pray and ask for help and let him filter it and submit to it when he shows us to say, okay, God, I see that. That relationship's over you. If they stopped coming to church, I'd stop coming to church. That, my kids are before you. If they, if they, something bad happened to my kids, I'm going to forsake you. I got I to gotta get past all this crap, God, and I just want to love you first and most. I want to stand before you instead of hearing I never knew you. I want to hear, well done. Come on. Come on. Come on, Torres. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on. Enter into heaven. Do you know I had a friend describe that moment to me that he saw in the spirit, and he said that they would stand outside the gate, and they would stand there, and they'd look in the book of life, and if your name was there, the angel of the Lord would say, come on. Come on, good and faithful servant. Enter in. And that behind the gates, behind the gates, behind the walls, 
This is so cool. They could hear this deafening roar of people cheering like, yes! Angels and people by the millions, by the billions. Yes! Just cheering as each one walked through the gates. Wow, I'd rather be cheering for you than crying for you. Man, let's fall in love with God, church. Let's let's love God and people, and let's not love anything else. We can like it, but we we don't need to love it. Let's make it fit. Every eye closed. Man, here or online, I don't care if it's today you're watching live or you watch later this week or three weeks from now. I don't care why you're here. I learned that a long time ago. Maybe you came for this reason. Maybe you came because you like somebody. Maybe you came because you're in a desperate situation. Maybe you came like me for all the wrong reasons. You're just like, man, I'm going to check out this cult on the move and get him out of there. That's what I was thinking. I came, I thought my brother joined a cult. and I came to get him out, and instead I joined because I realized it wasn't some crazy cult. It was, it was everything I needed. I needed God. I needed his love in me. I needed him to teach me how to love and care and why I was created. Man, if you could have saw me then, you'd have thought, no way that I'd be standing here today. You might think, man, there's no way I could get right with God. But yeah, it's His, it's his goodness. It's not our goodness, it's His. It's His grace. He wants to just give it to you. He'll give you forgiveness. He'll give you the Holy Spirit if you'll just believe that He is who He says He is. If you just believe he did what he said he did, he did die for our sins, he did rise from the dead, he is alive and he loves you and he did that to rescue us. He didn't do that to rescue himself, he did that to rescue us. I was talking to a new parent and I said, man, first with my first child, I I understood that how God would just easily take our place if my son was sentenced to a horrible, cruel death and an eternity in hell, and, I, and they offered for me to do it for him without blinking, I'd do it. Without blinking. And that's what God did for us. We were sentenced. We were messed up. But he said, man, I'm not going to let you do this. I'm going to give you a chance to get out of that mess. And, but he didn't make us. It's a choice. It won't make you. It's a decision that, you know what? God, I believe you. And I want you to be my God and my Lord. I want you to teach me and love me. I want to go on this journey together with you. I want to know you and I want you to know me. I want to go to heaven, Lord.
that's you and you've never prayed that, let's pray right now. Or maybe you've, man, maybe you've some hurt, you've fallen, or maybe sin's pulled you and you've gone backwards and you're just like, man, this is no good. And you just want to come home. Let's, let's pray about that too. So online, I want you right now just to text or whatever message and say, hey, I'm praying for the first time or I'm praying for the next time. In this room on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and say, it's me. I need to get right with God. You need to acknowledge that either online or here. You need to acknowledge it. Say, God, I need you. You need to confess him before people and say, man, God, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of getting right with you. And then we're all just going to pray right where you're seated, right where you're at online. We're just going to pray. So if that's you, online, send the message in here. One, two, three, just put your hand up right now and say, it's me. Say, i got to get right with God today. Thank you all around this room. Thank you. Oh, wow, so many. Wow, that's incredible. Let's pray right where we're at in this really cool, reverent moment. God's presence, His love is here. Just pray this and just mean it the best you can. Just mean it. Say this, say, God, I believe that you're God and that you love me. You love me even when I was your enemy. You love me when I'm unlovable. And I thank you for that. That you love me so much that you sent Jesus. He paid my price, my penalty that I deserved. And I thank you for that. That not only Jesus died for my sins, but you raised him from the dead so I could be raised. You did all of that to rescue me from my sin. Thank you. Today, I confess from my heart, out of my mouth, that Jesus, you are the Lord, Jesus Christ, of my life. I give you my life just as you gave me yours. And I thank you right now for the Holy Spirit living inside of me and now teaching me how to love you with all, how to love myself and love others. Thank you for saving me, restoring me. In Jesus' name, so be it.